Hi, welcome to Mortality and Tea. I'm the host, Amy Manning. Thank you for, for joining us. Um, this is a show where we explore our own mortality, our own death, in hopes that we can find a more rich and juicy life. Um, today's show, I'm just uh, gonna give a, a description of what the show's about, the intention of it, a little bit of my story. Um, so yeah, thanks for joining us. Mortality and Tea with Amy. So to get started, this show, again, is about our own mortality, our own death. Exploring that is a way um, of finding our own, our own joy in life, if you will. Um, a bit of my story. So I started this show because death was a gift to me, if you will. Um, it's knocked on my door quite abruptly a few times in my life, um, and I wasn't prepared for it. Uh, I'm not sure anybody ever is. <laughs> um, but so when I was a teenager, when I was 16, my twin sister died in a car accident. And at that time, um, it was, it was right in front of my face. There was death right there in front of me. Um, and it, it scared me. I felt, I felt a lot of sorrow. I felt scared, um, because there was my twin. She was gone. She was passed from this world, um, if you will. And I'm a little nervous as I'm talking about it. Um, and in that grieving process, our culture, our Western culture isn't very good at grieving. I wasn't good at grieving and people didn't seem to be, this is my interpretation and my own story. So this is my own view of it. So when, when grief came to visit, I wasn't prepared. And I don't think our culture is prepared to support people either in this process of grieving. Um, so upon my journey, I lost a lot of friends. I wasn't able to receive the help. So I take upon my, my, own, my own part in this is that I, I didn't receive the help from people very well and people weren't able to give as much as, as I needed in that grief process. Um, again, this is like our culture uh, in the Western world. Um, I lost a lot of friends and I went through some really painful experiences just to try to escape that pain. And it was painful. It was very painful. Um, you know, there's only so many drugs you can do and so much alcohol you can drink and avoiding a pain before eventually it just, it just comes and knocks on your door and says, I'm not going anywhere. 
I'm here to stay. You've got to look at me. And I was forced to look at it. And when I did, um, it was initiation. It was like this pain was an initiation, kind of like how sororities or fraternities have an initiation period. Um, you have to go through some painful stuff, I suppose, to be belonged, I, you know. Um, but I went through an initiation with the pain to where I felt this great sense of life. I wanted to live. I wanted to... I wanted to experience things. And I had a very clear understanding at this age of 16. Well, no, further ahead, because I had gone through some pretty deep stuff to get to that acceptance of of, uh, of the of death and, and a bit of my own mortality, if you will. Um, but I had a clear understanding that I would say, I remember saying, it was about 19 years old, that in my future, it didn't matter if I had all the money in the world, what really mattered is that if I lived in a shack and I had a family and I had love, that was really all I needed. And I knew that deep down in my very bones, in my soul, I knew that to be true. And then life goes on a journey and I kind of lost that vision. I had children, I had a husband, I still do, still have children and a husband um, and I'm so blessed. Um, and life kind of took its own journey and I still hadn't completely processed my sister's death. There was a lot I still wasn't willing to look at. And I think it was mostly the trauma, the post-traumatic stress, the, um, so that'll be kind of, um, something that I'll talk about in this. So if you suffer post-traumatic stress, I'm, my heart goes out to you. It's, uh. It's a very painful experience in life and it's something that will affect me for the rest of my life and I, I surrender to it. But years went on and um, again, death came to knock at the door for me, not my death, the death of other people. Um, and it was about a two year period, um, maybe a little less, I can't remember, but where there was one death after another that was occurring in our lives. My husband's aunt passed away and she was a good friend to me. I spent a lot of time with her, with my, with my oldest daughter. We spent a lot of time together and when she died, there was a hole there. I missed her, I still miss her, she was so fun. Um, and then shortly after that, it was, um, I can't remember. It was just so many people. It was like one after another. Um, my cousin Dan passed shortly after that. Well, yeah, my cousin Dan. And I was not like super close to him, but we spent summers together on vacations and things. and. And I just loved him. He was, you know, a person in my life. I still love him. He was a person in my life that uh, he was fun. He was musical. Um, he had a great laugh. Uh, and he just played with us. He was a bit older than me. And so he played a lot with us younger kids. And I just had such great memories with him. And when he passed, it was, it was like another person just leaving. 
and then um, and then Rick's papaw, my husband's papaw, he passed, and that was a huge one. That was he wasn't just Rick's papaw. He ended up accepting me into the family, and I used to go over with our daughters and visit him all the time. And I, it, this was just, it was a huge grief for me. And then after that, um, my cousin John, his grandfather died. And I wasn't super close to him, but I, I, I enjoyed his wisdom that he shared with me and he always listened to me so intently. And then, Right after that, my dad died. And that was, that was a blow. That was, again, I, he fell three stories off the back of his house. They were doing um, home repairs. I'm shaking a little bit. I'm a little nervous as I talk about this. I hope you can hold some space for me as I'm a little emotional. And it, uh, post-traumatic stress, again, um, I got there right before the ambulance did, and I got to hold his hand. He was not present. He was dying. His body was actively dying, but he was not dead yet. He was pronounced dead, uh, on the way to the hospital in care flight. And, um, seeing him broken like that was, that was, it is still hard. It is still hard. That is um, an experience that's hard to shake. Um, and that was a grief that hit me to where all of those together, it was like I wasn't able to grieve one before another hit and another and another. And before I knew it, I was almost just incapacitated in grief. I could, I could hardly get out of bed. There were some days I did not get out of bed. Um, and then a few months after that, my Uncle Don died. That was kind of the, just the final blow, the final hit that was just too much to bear. And my Uncle Don was my dad's brother and they were very close. We spent so much time together. Um, my Uncle Don and my dad, we would always be together at each other's houses. Uncle Don would come over and spend time at our house on the weekends with my cousins, or we'd go over to their house. And so it was it was like losing another, I wouldn't say father figure, but pretty darn close to it. And those, all of those griefs heading all at once was just, it was too much. It was too much. And I, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to grieve it. I didn't know how to allow it. In our culture, our Western culture, it is kind of like this utopia, if you will, um, that it's this think positive, everybody be happy, pretend you're happy. Because when you're sad, it makes me sad. And we just can't handle that. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing. This is just the flow that's happened in our culture. And it's something I've, I noticed over the years that, you know, when I lost my twin, 
it was a lot of expectation for me just to get over it really quickly because everybody else can't handle me being sad. So I just put on this happy face and pretended everything was okay for a long time. And that was where drugs and alcohol came in. It was like, well, that's a good way to pretend that everything's okay. And so the pattern showed up again in my life with my dad and my and all of the other um, beautiful individuals who had passed as well. Um, put on a happy face and pretend that everything's all right. You got to get out of bed and you got to keep going. And so drugs and alcohol became a friend again. A really crappy friend. <laughs> you know, they're good at masking stuff, but boy, they don't let you get through anything, you know. Um, but I likened my grief to this movie called The Beach, and I watched it. And it was a movie about this island where they find this utopia, this paradise, if you will. Well, it is a paradise, and it's a secret, so nobody's allowed to be on the island unless um, you're accepted in in some way. I can't remember how it was. And in this paradise that they have, um, one person ends up getting attacked by a shark and they're, they're, they're badly injured and dying. And at first in this paradise, they bring this person in. It's going to be all right. We love you. We're here for you. And this person is in so much pain and he can't leave the island because if he leaves the island to go get help or support or treatment, um, they, he could risk exposing the island of paradise and then it wouldn't be paradise anymore for these people. And so here they accept this person with open arms and um, they're trying to help him. Eventually, it becomes too much. His cries of pain and anguish were disturbing their paradise. So this person was told, you know, we love you, but we're gonna have to stick you over here on the island because we just can't take it anymore. Your pain is just too much for us. It's disturbing our paradise. And they transport him away from the group so that they can proceed with their own paradise while this person is in anguish and suffering and eventually dies. Um, it's a lot like how I felt. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is a lot like how I felt when I was grieving. It was like, as soon as the person dies, the rush of people that comes in to be there and support you is like, it's like this utopia feeling. Although I was so sad, it was like this amazing feeling, all these friends and family. I just felt so much love and so, so much support. And then when everybody goes away, it was like, it was a punch to the gut. I, I grieved again. I lost a lot of friends. I lost a lot of friends. I pushed a few friends away. I did. I'll, I own my own stuff. And I did. There was one friend in particular. I know she was there for me and I didn't know how to accept the help. And uh, I pushed it away. But there was so much going on inside my mind and inside my heart and inside my soul that it was like I just wasn't allowed to have that sadness. I wasn't allowed to have it. So I did it on my own. I eventually uh, 
eventually got sober and said, well, this, this isn't working. It's making it worse. And I sat with it. I sat with all that grief. Cheers to tea. I sat with all that pain and I let it be an initiation to my belonging, to my belonging of this world, which is full of suffering and joy and grief and hope and all the messiness that comes along with that and how it all belongs, how all of it belongs. And when I came around to this understanding, I started to look at my own death and it was part of my belonging and understanding that death really is a part, it, it belongs here in this world. It's here, you know, I think about it a lot. Um, what would, I, I get grateful for death, oddly enough. Um, it's not odd to me. <laughs> um, but I imagine a world without death and it would just seem so stagnant. There wouldn't be any growth. There wouldn't be any birth. There wouldn't be any seeds that would germinate and then grow into a flower and then die and then that become the rich soil for the seeds of more to grow and be birthed and, and die. And so without death, there is not life. Without this gift, there isn't a joy on the other side. I can't, it's hard to put into words. I, I hope I'm, I hope I'm, I'm conveying a bit of it. Um, anyway, I'll get to it. I'll get to another bit here. Um, that my own death experience became something that I really, at first I thought, oh my gosh, am I morbid to really think about this? And then come upon some of my studies. It was like, no, this is um, a Buddhist teaching, which is Think about your death every morning when you wake up and you will live a more rich life. And it is true. Out of searching my own death, all of a sudden I wanted to live. I wanted to live. I wanted to do so much. It was like, there's so much to do. And trying to live in utopia all the damn time, that's just exhausting. Forget that. <laughs> I don't want that anymore. <laughs> I'll take all the... The, the suffering, the joy, the sorrow, the, the, all of it. I'll take all of it. I'll take it all because living in utopia is exhausting. I don't want that shit. Excuse my language. <laughs> um, but so I did. I went, I went on a journey and kind of exploring my own death and I found my own. So in this show, if you continue to watch the show, I, I, I hope to, part of my intentions is to explore the process of dying, what the body goes through, because uh, this is really beautiful to me, is that the body is programmed and knows how to die if you're given the opportunity to, if it is your experience that you would die of a natural cause, the body knows how to do it. It goes through a process and it's really fascinating. It starts and then it finishes until your final breath. Um, 
but that'll be hopefully something I can explore in the show and then um, exploring our own ideal death experience. And I'll take you on those questions right now as I tell you my own ideal death experience. <laughs> it's not that sinister. <laughs> Cheers to death. Huh? Um, so my own ideal death experience. I would hope I want to I want to live to be an old lady. I want to be an old little old woman. I want to have little grandchildren, maybe. No pressure to my kids here. No pressure. But I want to <laughs> I want to build fires and let my little grandkids run around the fire naked and hoot and holler at the moon and all that fun stuff. <laughs> um I just I want to be a little old lady one day. I hope you know, I hope, but it is what it is. Yeah, I want to be that little, little old wise woman. Just, to, just enjoying and savoring being an old woman, knowing that even at the age of 42, I'll be 43 in July. And there's so many people that didn't get to taste the fruit of being 42 or 43 years old. My twin is one of them. I'm going to savor it, you know, I want to savor every bit of it. So I hope that I get to be an older woman with my wrinkles and my gray hair and just love it, you know, just taste the fruits of what it's like, even though I'll be maybe aching and uncomfortable, <laughs> but that's the, that's part of the experience of being like maybe an 80, 90, a hundred year old woman. You know, taste the fruits of it. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. So if I die when I'm 80, that's my ideal, right? This is my ideal death experience. 90. I like 90s. There we go. My ideals, I'll be in my 90s. I hope to be laying on my deathbed, hopefully in my home. I would like to be in my home with my family surrounding me. Of course, it would be their option and their choice, but this is my ideal. So I have to go to my experience and, and try not to, in this one moment, care for my family, you know, in that way. I want to think about what I really want. Um, I would want grandchildren running around laughing and giggling. I would want, if, again, if I had no pressure, if I have grandchildren, if I don't, I'll be completely content. I can accept anything. Um, I hope my children, my daughters are holding my hand. I hope I would like to have incense burning around. I would like to have some meditative music, some singing bowls, some, my family praying around me, preparing for my soul to depart the body because that is my belief. It's my own belief that I have a soul and my soul will depart the body. Um, and that, and internally, that's what I'll be doing is preparing as my body is going through the active process of dying, which is, I, again, I repeat, is that the body knows how to die. It knows what to do. It has a program and it will go through the process. And as it goes through the program, I want to be preparing my soul to exit. 
to say goodbye, to release. And that is the final release. It is my belief that, you know, um, we have attachments to things and I'm trying to, in my own life, detach from things, from ideas, beliefs, objects, and that eventually I release this body. And yeah, so in that process, I, I hope that I'm in a room where there's some sunlight coming in. It'd be preferable to be outside, but I can be inside a room as long as there's a little bit of sunlight coming in. And um, I would want, I would hope that my daughters or family members or whoever would be wanting to curl up in bed with me and talk to me. Um, assure me that everything's going to be okay. Because I know I'll feel scared. I think that's a natural feeling. And if my husband is there, that he would curl up with me and hold my hand and tell me it's going to be all right. And uh, I would love to feel the love in the room. Hopefully I've given enough love to be able to receive it upon this moment in my life. And um, yes, and then the next question would be, what would I want done with my body immediately after I take my final breath? And in my final breath, as I exhale and release the spirit, the soul, there's my body laying there that's a little old woman, gray and wrinkled, and she's carried this soul for 90-some years, and there she is. She's so beautiful. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I'm thinking about it. It feels so sweet. I love his body. <laughs> I love me. Mm. Oh, I love all of me. Even my story, sometimes it's hard to accept, but I do love my story too. But in the moment after, it would be my ideal, but I guess maybe this would be just projecting because I would do this for anybody for my sake after they pass, if it was a close person to me, my husband or or um, or anybody else. I can't go there very well because it I just can't. Anyway, I would, I would, Oh, there's a little hummingbird outside my window right there. If anybody knows me, a hummingbird is my uh, my spirit animal. <laughs> um, anyway, so I would hope with my body as it's laying there and I've just passed, you know, I'll get right down to the nitty gritty. When you die, you release everything, not even just your breath or your spirit. You release your urine, your feces, it all goes, you know. So, and that belongs. It all belongs. I'm not going to say it's gross. It's gross. I said it. It's gross. But I, I would hope somebody would clean me up, clean up my body, honor it, honor the vessel that held me for 90-some years and wash me in a spiritual way. I'm a very spiritual person, so I would hope that they would wash my body and care for it like they would a little baby or something like that and clean me up 
wash my hair, say goodbye to me. It will be the last time they see this vessel. And maybe put some rose water over me and, uh, and things like that. And curl up with me and say goodbye to the body. And then my hope would be to, for a funeral, which this wasn't one of the questions, but like a funeral type thing, my wish would be to um, have my body at home and let the family come say goodbye to it. And I don't want to be embalmed. I don't want to have the this body processed in any way. I want to keep it just the way it is because it's a misconception that we need to be embalmed. Um, but the body really doesn't start stinking until four or five days. I'd have to check on that for sure. But if I, if my understanding is correct, it, I mean, even up to a week, it really, there's, it doesn't really start to stink. It's a misconception. So to keep the body in the home, let the family come by, say goodbye to my body, wrap me in a shroud, put me in a pine box decorate it, wrap me in a shroud, let the children or whomever the family decorate the box, draw pictures on it, you know, my coffin, if you will, um, put letters in there with it, put some flowers in with my body, wrap me in a beautiful shroud, and then bury me out in a green cemetery. There's green cemeteries where they bury you out and then your body just becomes, it goes with the wood, the coffin and the wood, and your body just becomes part of the soil and the dirt, which brings about new life. <laughs> and that's what I would do with my body. As far as um, what do I believe happens after I die, I believe, you know, isn't that the great mystery? Ah. Um, I don't know. I do not know. I do have some ideas, some thoughts, some beliefs around like reincarnation. Um, that if we don't, if we, mm, it's hard to put into words. Being attached to this world, it's, you know, so I'm preparing to detach so that I can return home. That's what I really feel happens is that we return home. But if I'm attached to this world in any way, I'll come back. I don't know what I come back as, but I might come back if I'm not ready to go home. And that's been a process of this part of my life since my dad passed. And learning how to grieve is how to how to let go, how to let go of things and how to learn how to go home. And my hope is that after this journey, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to return to great spirit, to the all, to whatever it is and, um, and to be one with God. Um, one of the other questions that I ask of the guests on the show is, do I have any, anything that I regret not doing? Meaning, is there something I wish I would have done? And, um, right now, right now, I, if I were to die today, I wish I would have traveled a little bit more. 
I would love to just, I would love to take my daughters and my husband to Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii is so beautiful. It's so pretty. Um, I would love to travel to Europe. My oldest daughter wants to see Paris really bad. So I wish I could, uh, if I were to die today, that would be like one of my regrets. Like, man, I wish I would have done that. Um, um, oh, oh, this one's coming up. Well, what have I not done? Okay, hang on, that's the next question. What have I not done that I wish I would have done? Um, that's it. Travel more. I really love this world. It's so beautiful. I would love to see as much of I, as I can of it. Earth is amazing. It's so pretty. Most of it. <laughs> um, I would, I would just love to travel more. That would be, yeah, that's it. And then my final question that I ask guests is, um, what do I regret having? What do I regret having done? Well, now wait. I'm gonna go back to one of the regrets regrets that I that I have not done, and um, this one is coming to me right now. Is I would really like to heal some more of the relationship with my older sister. I really would. It's something I. I'm open to, uh, now that I'm saying it out loud, I don't think that I have pursued it as much as I could. And so it's, I would hope to, to heal some more of that relationship that I have with her. And then regrets that I have, you know, regrets. That's a toughie, you know. When I was grieving my dad and the other beautiful people that had left our life, I think it was five people, all in like a span of less than two years, five very prominent people. I was grieving all at once. I, it's hard to decide if it's a regret I have or not, but <clears throat> I wasn't there for my children the way I wanted to be. wasn't there for my children the way I wanted to be. And I hurt them because I was hurting so bad. I had said and behaved poorly. I had said some things that weren't very kind and Lily really needed a mother that was very present. And she was getting a shell of a woman who was very broken. But then I suppose it was a part of me that really woke up and said there's something wrong with this grieving process in our culture and it led me to doing this show so here I am doing this show now and um, 
yeah, that would be the regret I have. It was just not, not being present for my children when I was grieving. That's my regret. That's a painful one. It's a really painful one. I'm, that's hard to admit. Thank you for receiving that, everybody who's watching. Um, which, there was something I wanted to say to the effect of grieving, and I can't remember what it was. Um, oh, oh, this is a good intro way. You know, grieving, like I said, is an initiation. It is painful. It feels terrible. But I would have to say this. I have learned a lot about how to grieve, about how to be some there for somebody who's grieving. And I will share this because it's, uh, to me, it's rather important to share. I have found, again, that when people are grieving, we're there for them as long as we can handle it. And then once the person's pain and sorrow become too much, we let go. And I'm guilty of it. I've done the same thing. And it hurt me so bad when, especially when I was 16 and my twin died. I lost all my friends. I was alone in my grief and then I was alone and I was alone. I had never felt so lonely in all my life. And then when my dad died, I lost a lot of friends too. And I have learned for me that when somebody dies and a friend of mine or a family member of mine is grieving, grieving looks weird. <laughs> it's not pretty. It's not pretty. It is, somebody is internally going through a process that is their own. There is no rule book. There is no handbook for it. Um, even when they talk about the stages of grief, really, from what I've learned in my own studies, is that the stages of grief wasn't for the grieving. It was for the people who were dying. They had created it for hospice. You know, the, the anger, acceptance. I can't remember all this. It was for the people who were dying in hospice. Like, this is your process that you'll go through. It's kind of similar, I guess, when you're grieving. When you're grieving, you'll be here in life, right? And then you lose somebody. And then you still are on this path, which is called coping. You're just coping. You're just kind of skimming through life, right? And then once the coping stops, then you hit the valley and you go through the valley. And when I've gone through the valley is when the friends just go, and the valley is, it's a shit show. It's not pretty. It's not fun. It is the worst pain in the world. Um, again, mine was a little different with my dad and my sister because of post-traumatic stress, but um, that valley is a tough one. But after we get out of the valley, if we're able to grieve properly, if we start here when the person dies, it's an initiation our grief is. We should end up, we could, we could. I'm because I don't want to say should, that would put a lot of shame on somebody if they've never been up here then. But we could end up up here. When we go through that valley of the grief, that's, I would share, I have learned for me that what I will do for a friend or a loved one is just 
to hold that space for them as long as they need it. I don't have to fix their grief. I don't have to fix their sadness. I don't have to fix a thing. This is their initiation. This is their process. This is their pain. As awful as it is, it's theirs. And it's there for, it belongs. It belongs. It All of it belongs. Um, I don't want to say a reason because that just seems so, when people would say, your, your, your dad died for a reason, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> shut up. God works in mysterious ways. Shut up. I don't want to hear that. Sorry. I, people have said that. It's just, it hurts. It doesn't feel good when people say that kind of stuff when somebody's died. It doesn't feel good. The things that I would say now to somebody would be, I'm going to hold this space for you. I can't fix your pain, and I'm not going to try to take your pain on either. I'm not going to, I, I, that's not fair. I'm just going to sit here as a light, as a lifeline for you. You can feel however you want, and I'm not going to go away. I'm not going to abandon you as a friend. I'll let your shit show go on, and I'll tell you when I think that you're, you're behaving poorly or, you know, maybe you're drinking too much or whatever, I'll tell you. But I'm not there to fix it. I never wanted anybody to fix me when I was grieving. That hurt even worse. It made me feel like I was wrong for grieving. I was like, maybe if you just do this. So it's, so I'm, I'm not supposed to feel this way? Oh my God, you know? Then I felt like there was something wrong with me. Oh, that's a whole other ball game of a, of a show, you know? Not only am I grieving, but now there's something wrong with me. Not cool. Um... So yeah, just holding that space. We're going to go into this cave of who knows what when we grieve. We don't know what we're going to find there. I found stuff that I didn't even, I had no idea. Couldn't even fathom that I'd find. But I found me in it, you know. There was a shedding of all kinds of layers of, just different things, but if we hold a light for somebody when they're grieving, they can come out up here, you know? They can, they could. I, I share that with, with you on this show in hopes that it might help you if you have a friend who's grieving. You don't have to fix it. You don't, ha you don't even have to say a thing. Just to hold their hand just to hand them a tissue, just to say, this really sucks, but it's gonna be okay. It's not okay right now, but it's gonna be okay. It is gonna be okay. This too shall pass, but this too belongs. It belongs. The grieving, the suffering, it belongs. The joy, it belongs. The sorrow, it belongs. The pain, it belongs. The laughter, it belongs. The tears, God, they belong. Every tear I shed was another bit of water that cleansed my soul, you know. Um, every laughter I've ever had was just a release of all that pent-up energy of joy inside myself. Every tear was a release of every sorrow I've ever held inside myself. Tears are a release just like a laugh is. It belongs. 
it all belongs. Mm. It might be a good place to stop for this show today. <laughs> uh, I hope um, this show that uh, has been created helps people to find their own joy for life. Explore your death. Look at it. It's there to teach you something. It's not going away. <laughs> I wrote a poem and I can't remember what it was, but upon my conception, death was promised to me. And it is true. Um, it's there and we can look at it. And I look at it every morning, say, hmm, this could be the day. Ha! Well then, I'm gonna let whatever it be, be. If I'm having a shit day, I'm gonna have it. And I'm just gonna let it be, because it belongs. If I'm having a good day, I'm gonna let it be, but I'm definitely not gonna sit and wallow and, and boo-hoo and, and whatever. But I'm gonna allow all of this experience of life to wash through this body before I go. Cheers to everyone. If you have a cup of tea, <laughs> I'm drinking a little chaga tea today. Tasty stuff. But thank you for hearing my story. I hope you will watch the show. We're on YouTube. I'm also on iTunes, Mortality and Tea. Um, again, this show is for, for you all. It's for... Um, it is my hopes that it helps people find a more rich and juicy life. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And love and light to all of you. Bye-bye. Mortality and Tea with Amy.